Hello and welcome to The Thing About Golf, the podcast series from Golf Australia magazine that attempts to answer that nagging question non-golfers so often ask, just what draws people to this clearly ridiculous game? My name's Rod Murray, and I'm your guide on these expeditions into the psyche of golfers, be they players, caddies, administrators, or involved in the business or the game in some other way. Seemingly, this game shows no favouritism when it comes to selecting who to infect. On episode 16, we're going to meet our second golf power couple of the series when US Solheim Cup player Christina Kim sits down with longtime New Zealand boyfriend Duncan French to talk all things golf and life. If you enjoyed our chat with Bob and Kathy Shearer back on episode two, then stick around. You'll likely find this one interesting as well. But before we meet this oddest of odd couples, there's some admin to take care of, starting with our back catalogue. If this is your first time here, do make the effort to dig into the archives and catch up with some of the interviews we've been lucky enough to secure over the past 12 months or so. As mentioned, Bob and Kathy Shearer were among our early guests, but also on the honour roll have been Peter Lonard, Peter Senior, tennis legend Liz Smiley, and golf writer extraordinaire John Huggan. Of course, there was also last month's guest, noted course designer Tom Doak. If you don't find something you like in the back catalogue, get in touch and give us some suggestions. You'll find me on Twitter at at Rod underscore Mori. That's M for Mario, double R-I. My direct messages are open, so anybody can send through correspondence. The show also has its own handle at at ThingGolf. That's capital T-H-I-N-G, capital G-O-L-F. Or you can find Golf Australia magazine on Facebook and communicate that way. Of course, if you're really old school, we also have an email address, golf at golfaustralia.com. Dot com dot au. All of that can be found in the show notes. And if you do enjoy your stay, make sure to subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that at any of the popular apps such as Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Spotify, or you can go to the podcast page at the Golf Australia website and do it from there. All right, on with episode 16. And what a treat it was earlier this year to catch up in person with two of the LPGA's best characters. Even casual golf fans will be familiar with the name Christina Kim, the outgoing former US Solheim Cup player and three-time LPGA Tour winner. He's one of the game's most popular players. And you'll understand why by the end of this interview. But equally interesting is her less well-known, though equally well-liked boyfriend and occasional caddy, Duncan French. The New Zealand-born French is a respected bagman in his own right, who helped guide Michelle Wee to her only major victory at the 2014 US Women's Open. But that is just one in a laundry list of achievements, and French, a passionate lover of the game and all things good about it, has more than his fair share of homegrown wisdom to dole out. I sat down with the pair ahead of the Vic Open back in February for a wide-ranging chinwag about golf, life, and everything in between. Christina Kim and Duncan French, golf's odd couple, I suspect. <laughs> I'm sure you've been called that before. Podcast is called The Thing About Golf. Where to start? I'm tossing a coin. Duncan French, what's the thing about golf? The thing about golf? Mm, big question. Huge question. Complex answers, I would think. Um, I would say that the best thing about golf or the thing about golf is it's you and the golf course, nothing else. There's no excuse from anyone else on a team. You're out there, it's you trying to do your best on a golf course or a piece of property, really, each time you go out there, and there's nothing that can be done other than what you can control yourself, which is very, very aggravating and awesome at the same time. 
everybody listening knows exactly what you mean. Christina, for somebody who plays golf for a living, is the thing about golf different or does the thing about golf change over time when that's what you choose for a profession? I think that the thing about golf changes and transforms and evolves just as you get older. You know, obviously I've been playing on tour now. This is my Christ, 18th season on tour. But for me, the thing about golf is the older I get, the more I play it, the more I realize that it's an amazing parallel towards life. Mm -hmm. You know, you can have a great shot with a horrible bounce. You can try your hardest, do everything that you think you're doing right, and it still doesn't pan out. And on the flip side, you can sit there and have a little bit of a whoopsie in your swing and, you know, get lucky, have a little bit of a, you know, fortuitous bounce. And I think that that's one of the best things about life. And it teaches everything about integrity, self-discipline, self-policing. And in this modern day, I don't know if there are a lot of other things that really promote (laughs) that as much as golf Uh does. You're going to go all political on us. No. There's a million books about golf. There's a million books tell you how to play golf. Of course, the irony is you've just outlined there is, There's no textbook for golf, is there? And never can be. I mean, the only thing you can, no, I mean, the only thing you can do wrong is to try and hit it with the grip as opposed to the club head, you know, or the back of the club head. If that's how you're trying to play normal golf, there's no right or wrong way to do it. You've got everyone swings from, you know, uh, former number one in B park who she looks like she barely takes it halfway back to someone like a Jim Furyk who has that, you know, beautiful looping flow with his backswing and everything in between, you know, you've got the Tiger Woods picture, perfect quote unquote technical golf swing that obviously has been remarkable for, was it now three decades? Um, no, no, technically going into his fourth decade. Oh yeah. has been three decades and I'm feeling every year. Yeah. And it's just, it's, there's no right or wrong way. Just like there, you know, there's no right or wrong way to live life as long as you're doing your best and trying your hardest and you don't kill people. No, that's right. (laughs) Duncan, how did you end up as part of this traveling circus? A nice young man from New Zealand who should have been a plumber or an electrician, you yeah. maybe a farmer by the look of you. How did you end up traveling around the world carrying the equipment of other people? A friend and a friend and I back in New Zealand both decided we were he had finished university. I was working in a golf shop which had closed and Clearly the- doing a fantastic job there. That's <laughs> real bad confidence. I think I sold everything in it. No. <laughs> No, they moved out of my small town, so I was looking for something else. Well, whereabouts in New Zealand are you from? Uh, in Blenheim, Marlborough, right up the top east coast of the South Island. Right. Beautiful Just wine country. Just another one of the ugly parts of New Zealand. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so him and I had done the then nationwide tour. Used to come to Christchurch when we were living there, and most of those guys wouldn't bring caddies, so the young kids would line up and try to pick up a bag for the week. And then the European ladies tour came to Christchurch in two weeks in Australia. And Joe, my friend and I both decided to do those three weeks and halfway through Australia thought, well, why not go over to Europe and try a hand over there for a year? Uh, if we weren't to enjoy it, it was kind of our OE overseas experience, go country to country and travel around. Uh, he ended up marrying the player that I worked for, Crystal Caithness, a Scottish girl and I met Christina, who brought me out to the States, and I've been out there since the end of 2010. And here we are. Yeah. <laughs> it's all quite so. What were you going to do before caddying? No idea. Life? I was not really too sure, kind of. I would have been involved somewhat in sport, I believe, um, whether I went the uh, PGA pro ranks and tried to get involved in teaching or something like that, but I wasn't too sure, but 
sort of fell into this and it's worked out pretty well so far. To be fair, when you're 21 years old, <laughs> there aren't too many people that have a dead no, set that, plan that they know what they're going to do. And I'm sure you'd agree with this, Christina. Most of those who do get to 50 and it hasn't panned out anything like they expected. They've ended up doing something completely different. Yeah, That's absolutely. been my experience. You know, absolutely. You, you can think you know what you want to do in life. We all think we run our life, but the truth is- there's another force out there that somehow yeah, it pulls uh, us around. Yeah, it changes the force. How about for you, Christina? I, I think I've read that your dad got you into golf. Were you hooked immediately? Were you one of those people? It can be quite the addiction, golf. No. <laughs> when I first started playing, my dad had already been playing for a couple of years at that point. He was always very athletic, played a lot of, you know, soccer or football, depending on where in the world you're from, uh, was nationally ranked in tennis in the amateur rankings way back in Korea, back in the seventies and moved to the States and was still able to have a really good group of friends. They'd play soccer every, every weekend, or they'd go out and play tennis for four or five hours every weekend since they weren't working, you know, on weekends. And then slowly, bit by bit, the friends, you know, they would have kids. They would all of a sudden realize my tennis elbow isn't getting any better. My joints aren't working as well. I'm not moving as quickly. And so they all started sort of falling off the face of the earth. And so my dad actually got quite lonely because a lot of his friends weren't playing the same sports he was. And just like a lot of people that don't play golf, assume golf is a quote unquote old man sport. Uh -huh. And my dad had that same view. So his best friend said, okay, you've been athletic your whole life. Just come check it out with me. See how it feels. If you can beat me, then I'll never bring it up ever again. Mm. And then I'll come back out on the soccer pitch and then I will, you know, suffer <laughs> greatly at the expense of it, but I'll come out and play with you. And so my dad was like, all right, I got this. I've got this in the bag. Came to the driving range. How hard can it be? How Exactly. He <laughs> How was so arrogant yeah. at that time. It took one swing, missed the ball. He fell in love immediately. And so my introduction was after a couple of years, he had brought my older sister, my older brother and I to the backyard. He had set up a little um, golf mat with that little hook with the ball hanging off of a string. Uh huh. And he said, hold this stick, hit that ball and take 500 swings every single day to each of the three of us. So, I mean, I was just shy of 12. I had no idea what was happening. And, you know, when growing up, you know, still to this day, when my dad says something, you know, to tells me to do something, I'm like, Okay. Okay. You know, I was, I was always a pretty good kid. Um, not the best, but you know, always tried to do my best to listen to my folks. And so the three of us, we would sit there and every single day after school, we would have 1500 swings between the three of us. And we'd be, you know, counting each swing that the other person hit. Cause like, I got my 500. I, you only got 497. You need to take those three extra swings. So after about three months, he took us out to the driving range and said, okay, there's a point to all of this. You take this little white ball that's no longer attached to a string. You put it on the ground and you try and hit it as far away from you as possible. And that made sense. And so we actually had built up a lot of the fundamentals of the golf swing prior to understanding that there is a point to all of this. And so we ac actually excelled pretty quickly um, when it came to, you know, hitting the ball and everything. I mean, I, st I still can't putt to save my life, but, you know, I can hit the ball still. Putting is sorcery. We know. <laughs> it's, got nothing, it's got nothing to do with sport or hand. I, there's not a skill to it. it. It's just black magic. We all know that. So don't feel bad. Um, but no, I mean, I fell in love with the game probably – you know, probably when I started around 15, when I started, you know, breaking par and started playing really, really well, I was, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jesus, yeah, most but, of us are still waiting. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> 
but it was hard just because I was young, you know, and I was, Mm -hmm. it's not that I was being taken away from my friends, but not a lot of my other friends played golf, but I had found a couple. I had this core group of guys that I went and played around a golf with that we were from, you know, three different cities, but all came together at this small golf club in Santa Clara that had a wonderful golf program. It was like 60 bucks US a year. And then you could hit balls for the last hour and a half of daylight and then go tee off uh, the last hour and a half before sunset. So, you know, that one taught, you know, gave us the opportunity to learn how to hone in our skills after school. And then secondly, we were able to try our best to squeeze in nine holes walking in a foursome in an hour and a half. So that was, that was always, you know, there's all these little things growing up that I'm like, wow, that was actually if not fantastic. That, yeah. I would have ended up maybe working in an office or, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or, you know, still playing golf, but you know, being a slow player. Yeah. You know, yeah that's whatever right. it is. <laughs> or a double digit handicap yeah. player like some of the, some of the rest of us. I'm listening to Christina talk there, Duncan. Mm-hmm. And I feel like the American golf experience is completely different to what we have here in Australia and probably New Zealand. Very much so, yeah. And a lot of the things that she's talking about there, uh, we take for granted here in Australia. I think the main one probably being cost. So you've been out of New Zealand and travelled around the world and yep. seen what golf really costs. You know as well as I do, everybody you play golf with in Australia and New Zealand whinges about paying 20 bucks to play mm-hmm. golf. Tell them how good we've actually got it here. <laughs> well, it's frightening, really. I think most junior courses I was – at times a member at five or six courses at one time when I was a junior golfer because you would turn up, you'd go somewhere on a holiday. We'd go to Queenstown for a week. Calvin Heights was near where we stayed. It's $30 a round or $45 for a year or so for a junior membership. So you go down and play once or twice, you may as well sign up for a year. So the junior program, they would just about give them a way to get kids to play. You could play for nothing basically. And even through majority of the smaller courses as I think my home course is 650 New Zealand for a year for a full playing, full rights. Oh, you're at the snobby course in town. Exactly, right? yeah. <laughs> yeah. One of the two 18-hole exactly courses, right. so that's top dollar. Yeah. Uh, so it is quite different, really. Um, when you tell people from other parts, not just America, not to pick on America, but not just America, when you tell people other, around the world that, what do they say? They shocked more than anything yeah they ask how much how what the playing rights are like so you could play all day every day on saturdays it's full run of the place um i think it's more disbelief than anything from a lot of people where there's and at least one more zero on the end of most people's dues that they pay each year yeah indeed my disbelief came by way of expletives when i found out what he was having to pay versus what i have to pay (laughs) What is it like in the for a, for a touring professional? We all assume as as recreational golfers that once you're a touring professional that everything's free and people invite you to be a member at their course and they give you cars and aeroplanes to fly around. What's the truth of professional golf? Yeah, I don't hang out with people that do that. <laughs> uh, well, being in Florida, the obviously it's very, very saturated with golfers. You've got people that have come down for the winter that are up, you know, we call them snowbirds, people that are from anywhere in the Northeast mm. all the way up to Canada and all of that stuff that come down to experience sun during the yeah, winter just time. Just to remind themselves yeah. it exists. And you've got a plethora of professional golfers of all different ranks, people that have just graduated college Mm -hmm. that are stepping their toes into the pool of professional golf. You've got players that are on, you know, the Symmetra tour, the corn fairies tour, corn fairy tour, excuse me, all the way up to the PJ tour and the LPJ tour and everything in between. So it's, it's a, 
there's a high demand um, when it comes to trying to get out on a golf course. So I have a membership that I pay my annual dues and monthly dues at a golf course, um, Orange Street Golf Club, which is, you know, it's it's a phenomenal course. It's a very, I call it an intimate course. A lot of mm-hmm. people, you know, in, in terms of, you know, people that are more traditionalists that think, you know, golf courses should be golf courses and houses should be houses, which I, I can definitely, I can agree with and I can understand. This does not fall in that line. You're, you're basically playing a golf course throughout a housing community. And part of the beauty of it is you've got like, say a 20 meter fairway, 20 wide meter fairway. And then you've got, you know, four or five meters of rough and then you're in someone's yard. So all of a sudden it, takes the golf course and makes it <laughs> potentially bet. more narrow. <laughs> I don't, I, I personally don't see it, but a lot of the guys will come like up you're before. swinging in a straight jacket. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the guys will, uh, from the PJ tour will come out in the weeks prior to majors and go out there and play it just because it For helps them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like there's, it's, I, I don't know the validity of it, but a story that I was told was that Tiger Woods came um, back in, what would it have been? 2006, maybe? It was oh, years before he was years famous. Ago. Yes. Yeah. When he was still on the up and up and went out, teed off at Orange Tree, lost every ball in his golf bag before he got to the 18th hole because he was forcing himself to hit driver on every hole wow. that wasn't a par three, lost every ball in his bag before he finished his round, drove off and then went and won the PJ championship the next week. Wow. He's pretty good that time. Yeah, Not right. too bad, is he? Yeah. It caused a bit of a storm turning up at the course uh just back to so you pay like the rest of us you pay a membership and you use and it's not all beer and skittles being Correct. golf pro is it it's not as glamorous as we probably think it's glamorous not as glamorous are. as the pj tour no. uh, my perception of the pj yeah. tour i still don't even know obviously have what. you flown private do you know anyone with i have jet? flown private yes uh-huh. i have flown privately um so you've had a peek behind the curtain into that world yeah it's I mean, the only thing is that the best part about it is you don't have to quote unquote pack. What's the relationship between money and professional golf? I've always thought it was a bit odd. Money's obviously you play for money, but does it play? Is it the motivator? Where does money fit in? Because we know the game is awash with money, but money and golf really funnels to the top. What's the role of money? What's your relationship with money and golf? If the reason I played golf was for money and that was my sole motivator, I would have a hell of a lot more of it. I would think. <laughs> Why do you say that? That's an um, interesting idea. I, well, because I, I'm not, I'm not motivated by money. You know, obviously money is necessary in order to live life and to have any kind of a lifestyle. But for me, you know, the, the only thing that motivates me when I'm on the golf course is to better myself, to work on myself and, there are probably times when I could have thought, Oh my gosh, this putt is for an extra $50,000. You know, whereas I would, for me, I would sit there and be like, this putt is this putt. And I, I try to avoid adding in any extra variables because for me, I find that to be potentially overwhelming. So all I can do is focus on this shot right here, right now and try and hit it as perfectly as possible. But I, I don't know if I would, I've never really been motivated by money. Um, you know, I, I've always Most of just- the best aren't, I suspect. I, I suspect most of the best it's not the, the motivator. What about for caddies, Duncan? What um, role does money play? It's a lot less money in caddying, obviously. There is. But are, is, it a, a, is it a different type of motivator than what it is for the player, do you reckon? Um, yes and no. I mean, you can't – I personally have never felt like caddying to say – if you're trying to win a tournament, you're all in. You're trying to win. It's not to try and get a bigger check, which is a nice – it's a nice thing that comes along with playing well, but there's not very often where you would say, right, talk to your player. We, 
there's no point going for a birdie to make a mistake, just make a par and try and finish second or something. You, I've never thought of, never thought of it. You'd drive yourself crazy a little bit, I think, if a player or if it upsets you enough that your player say missed a putt on the last hole. And, and you came back. Already 10, and then 10% you, of what you just missed. Yeah, well, yeah that's my car. Then you go that's back right. and you start looking and you go, oh, well, that cost me X or whatever uh-huh. it is. I think that would get in your head a little bit too much and would probably, I think it would get in the way of me trying to do my job and just help the player get the best score possible out of each day. That being said, I have witnessed caddies out there that it appear to do just that. Oh, really? Yeah, where yeah. their player will miss a putt and, you know, it's like the last caddy will have the flag. Uh, prior to, you know, just because their player's the last one, so everyone can, you know, whatever. I, Get on etiquette. with it. <laughs> I just, I've seen a player miss a putt and then the caddy lean on the putter so hard I thought it was going to, or the flag so hard it was going to wow. snap, throw their hands up in frustration, you know, all of this and that. It's, it's, uh, it's. It's a hell of a relationship, isn't it? Player caddy will come to you, yeah. the complications when you add in a personal relationship on top of it. Apart from anything else, Duncan, it strikes me, you've caddied for several players on the LPGA Tour. Mm-hmm. Isn't that like having a bunch of ex-girlfriends every time you get into a tournament? <laughs> you, you constantly bump into them and they know, all the others know about you and they, you know about them. What's it like? What's, how does that work? Answer carefully. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Good. Keeping in mind, you'll be out there this week. Absolutely. <laughs> no, um, I mean, I guess it's a bit like anything when you've, you work together, you do, you have built up a relationship. You're spending a lot of time together. So sometimes it can end poorly, especially if, I mean, the caddy could harbour some resentment if they were to get fired and they thought they've really done nothing wrong and a player was looking for someone they thought was better than them. And it's the same way if a caddy gets offered a job by potentially a better player, it's the same as if you're sitting in an office and you get offered, you get a promotion it's, some people are going to be hurt by it, but at the end of the day, you've got to do what's best for you in a career. So there is a fine line and sometimes, obviously, feelings can get a little bit hurt, but uh, then you ideally, get paired. yeah, you get paired together. and then <laughs> you know, Invariably the next week. Maybe the somehow. little bit of awkwardness on the first tee, but usually most most people and players and caddies, they all understand the business. And it's part of it. Exactly. Game. It is part of it. So and you, you have a fired a player? I have, yep. How does that conversation generally go? I, I hope it wasn't this one. No, no. <laughs> well, it was a semi-mutual parting. Is that right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, it's and why would you, on a serious note? Um, just need. Sometimes you just need a change. It's as simple as that. If you've done it for two, three, four years, you spend. If you're at a tournament for a week, that's seven days. You're together majority of the day with a player. It's a big relationship, and you're together a lot. And sometimes it's as simple as just needing something different. Some different, com- you might just simply run out of things to talk about and it just gets a little stale. And it gets to a point where both of them, both player and caddy sort of need a break. And it's just up to who makes the, makes the move first sometimes. What about the, from the player's perspective? Of course, players are just people. So there's all sorts of different personalities and caddies are just people. So there's all sorts of different personalities. What makes a good caddy for you, Christina, which might be different to what makes a good caddy for somebody else? It's very, very different. I think what makes, for me, what makes a good caddy is first and foremost, intuition. And that could come in the form of understanding and being able to read your player to know when to step in versus when to back the hell off, uh, as well as being able to read a situation of, okay, I can tell we're coming down the wire. My player is, you know, I, I try my best to stay as even keeled as possible in terms of when I'm 
standing over the ball, but adrenaline does get going. Your breath, your breath can quicken, heart rate goes up, you know, and, and so having someone there that can read your body language and be able to say, okay, I know you don't think it's going to, this eight iron is going to get there, but trust me, just take a good hard swing at it and this will be enough, you know? So there's a lot of body language reading and just a lot of intuition that comes involved with, with being a caddy. And I think that for me, I just need someone that can help me read greens a little bit, do it quickly. And also just be able to, to have good intuition and know that majority of the time, just back the hell off. You know, I've, I'll, I'll ask you if I need something, but if I don't need something, don't insert yourself here. It's, it's very unique. So for me, because this is a ladies professional golf association in many ways of quote unquote standard societal ways, the roles have reversed, you know, because I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm the boss all of a sudden, you know, I, I hate when someone says I'm work, you know, so I'm so excited to work for you. I say, no, 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 no. We, we work together. You work with me. This is a partnership. Obviously your, your income will be directly impacted by mine, but vice versa. Mine has the potential to be directly impacted by the actions you take. So let's make sure we're going in this as a partnership and that we're not one that's above the other, anything like that. That being said, ultimately, I just I you're I, the decision maker though, yes, aren't you? as the player, you yes. must be the CEO of Absolutely. that company for sure. Which is why I say back off until I ask you to to come in because when I do need you to come in is when I know your input will be invaluable. So for me, someone just keeps coming in and says, you know, you've got this number, you've got this number, and I'm like, I have my book, I can do my own math. You know, just try and find a way to to gently guide me without every single shopping. Like you got 128 front and it's seven on. And I'm like, well, I got 129. And even though that's only a difference of three feet, that is putting in something different mm-hmm. in my head. Um, and, you know, just just keep feeding me snacks. <laughs> I don't ask for a lot. You know, I, I ask for a, I ask to not do a lot, yeah. if that makes sense. As long as I'm fed and watered, I'm going to be yeah. happy. Just yeah. keep me No, I can water myself. That's yeah, okay. That's, 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 that's cool. You've both seen golf at the very highest level. Christina, you've played some golf at the highest level. I'll start with you. What's that like? What's it like to play that sort of golf that the rest of us only ever dream about in a big situation? You've played Solheim Cup. You've played in majors. You've won golf tournaments. Is it what you – because it's what you work for your whole life. Is it what you expect? Does it live up to expectations? Famously, it didn't for David Duval. We know that when he won the Open. Right. Um, I I don't know how to say this without sounding like an ass. When you're in those situations and you're playing well in those tournaments, the only word I can use to describe it is easy. You know, because like you said, I've worked my entire life to get to that point where, you know, you work so hard and work so hard and, and different from a lot of other sports, you know, you're, you're in a position where you create as opposed to reacting to something coming at you like mm-hmm. a you know a football mm-hmm. or a, a tennis ball or a baseball it's or a key you know makes yes. golf so you start difficult and interesting isn't it yeah sits there you're in a stationary position and you create the art that is the golf ball flying through the air or you know tumbling towards a hole and so you spend all this time tirelessly working at it and your brain is always just exhausted because you're, you're always trying to find perfection and you understand perfection is not possible, but just maybe you'll be that one person in all of history that is able to find <laughs> it. And even if it's only it. for a brief moment <laughs> and then when it all comes together, it's it, and it, it sounds terrible, but it's effortless and you're so appreciative of it 
hopefully in the moment, you know, it's not necessarily going to be happening all the time. I know in my last win and in 2014, I was so appreciative of every moment that I had. And I was so present. Whereas a lot of times when I'm not playing as well, it's I'm, I'm, I'm bouncing around everywhere else. I'm back at the last hole. I'm already going two, three holes ahead. Whereas the only thing you can really focus on is right here, right now. And what you're focusing on is the only thing that should matter. And it's this beautiful lack of you're hyper aware of everything your body is doing, but you're completely like deadened to the world. And it's, it's, it's a feeling that is almost undescribable, indescribable to anything else I've ever felt other than maybe just being unconscious, which is as its own benefit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The zone. Is that what you're talking? Yeah, I guess it is, but it's, it's difficult to really, it's difficult to put into words. It's, it's the culmination of everything you've worked towards. And then it's, it's, you know, you've got this rubber band that you've been pulling the tension on all this time and then you just let it go and it just flings across the room into someone's eye. It's just, it's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> That's a delightful, delightful picture. Duncan, I'm, you've been in those moments mm-hmm. as the caddy. Yep. So of course you don't get to hit any of the shots. You don't have any of those feelings. What's it like for the caddy in some ways? I suppose it depends on your mindset, doesn't it? it's kind of easier to muck it up than it is to get it right as the caddy in those situations, I guess. In a way it is, yes. I was going to use the exact same way as it's when the when a player is playing that well as a caddy, it is pretty much easy. You just – it seems when they're playing their best, every number that you have is a perfect right ball club. So you're standing there, you're not in between all the time, we're having to make decisions, and then you're talking that out. And you, Where things seem to go wrong, you always seem to pick the wrong club. Uh-huh. All right, here you are, 145 pin, perfect. It's an eight irons, 145. And it just seems to be on autopilot down the middle. Get your number. It's a perfect club again. And you don't really do much. They're just cruising around. and We really do sound like asses, like yeah. <laughs> the well, average golfer. Uh, I always say <laughs> caddy, sh- caddying when the player's playing really well, it's not that difficult. Uh-huh. It's when things start going the other way, then you're having to think of topics to talk about to try and cheer them up and you're trying to say well forget about this the next hole's coming they said we can make a couple of birdies they say what you don't think i'm trying (laughs) (laughs) i think you've had that conversation before i have in real life uh (laughs) indeed is it maybe that is that the trick christina is that you work your whole life to get to this moment and you expect when you get there it's going to be this huge deal that's going to be all encompassing and in fact when you get it's kind of like you know what? I'm here because it's sort of Somewhat easy. Somewhat autopilot to get it, there in a way. That's the trick of it. Yeah. Yes and no. It's for me. I mean, I was just astounded by how it was easy. Uh-huh. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it it's must come as a there. shock. Yeah, exactly. And you're like, that's it. <laughs> that's it. <laughs> you know, when it's all said and done, really? and you're just because you spend so much time grueling, and you know, you've got blood, you've got sweat, you've got so mm-hmm. many tears over the years, and then you know, it's it's. It's, you think everything is going to be like Mount Everest. Yeah. Where you sit there and you're just like, there is no other feeling in the world that could make me feel this fulfilled. Whereas it's really, no, you just, you're, you're actually dying because you've got no oxygen going into your system. So get, get back down to where you can breathe. But it's, it's just this. It's, this, it's, it's a lot like how, like we were last week, we were in New Zealand and we went to go, um, abalone diving and I, as you would. yeah, as you would, it was just, it was absolutely beautiful. You know, I jumped into the water 10 meters to the, to, to the bottom of the ocean floor. Flippers were too big. They slipped right off, right off. And I had a panic attack and was, ah. I thought I was going to die and then had a snorkel, but was, you know, refusing to let go of it because that was my only lifeline to the air, even though I was floating, 
you know, with my chest above the water, in essence, was with this holding wetsuit. onto the boat with the head oh, yeah. well above the water, <laughs> but, but panicking regardless with the snorkel and trying to get the oxygen. <laughs> trying to tell them that my flipper's gone. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and so it's just it, there's so many like par- just like I said, golf is parallel to life in so many senses. I was having this panic attack, was freaking out because there are fewer. There's nothing I love more than oxygen, and nothing I love more than gravity, and both of those were potentially being stripped away from me or being used against me, and. So you're sitting there and you're floundering around this and that. And then when you finally just calm down and let things happen, I guess maybe that's where it becomes easy is instead of always working towards something and fighting Mm -hmm. against the things you're trying to fix, when you just let it happen, you're just, you're floating, you're floating in the middle of the ocean, you know, staring down at the fish and the kelp and, you know, you realize, no, you're not going to die. No, that was that was that was a little further know, down I, the I, way. I there, there were sharks there, but <laughs> I did hear about that. I did hear about that. I, I think all golfers have felt that in a, in some way, Duncan. Even those, you know, even those of us who aren't particularly good at the game, you have a mm-hmm. stretch of holes where it's Absolutely. like, oh, it just goes where you look, mm-hmm. and it goes where you look. I guess the thing about the game that really appeals to us all is that, in fact, that never lasts, no. and it. It invariably beats you down. As high as it lets you get, it's always going to beat you down equally the other way. So why do we keep coming back? It's like drinking, isn't it? You know you're going to have a hangover tomorrow, yeah. yet for some reason. Um, I think I don't drink anymore because of that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think that's part of the that, – well, that is the beauty of it, where you know how – how it feels when you've you've got out and you've played whether it's and you know your personal you best round it. exactly. I know I can do that. And I've done it before. Well, my we were at home at my place back in New Zealand last week, and my dad had been complaining to me about how poor he's been playing. hadn't broken ninety for a while. Usually in the summer he's about 13, 12 to fourteen handicapper, and he was headless about his game. Then he went out with a couple of mates, shot 46, 41, had six pars in a row on the back, yep. and he came in and said, that's how I'm used to playing. And he said it was just easy, hit it in the middle, it was on the green, chipping a part or two parts. He said, and he kind of clicked and thought, well, I didn't really do anything different, that's just sometimes it just shows up, and you just bottle it. When it's there, hopefully that carries on into the next day and the next day. Mm-hmm. But then again, as you say, you just turn up one day and it's not there, Headless. Goes the other way, and you think, well, how can I shoot? I played, shot 41 on the last nine. You turn up the next day, shoot 52, and you go, how does, how does it happen? Same course. And same course. Exactly. Same exact, hands. Same everything. Same human. What the hell's happened there? And that is the best and the worst thing of golf, <laughs> that it's just you out there, and there's no excuse. It's sometimes it's just there. Yeah. Peter Senior once told me, Christina, that the difference between good players and the best players isn't their best golf. It's their worst. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. When you think about it, it makes complete sense, doesn't it? Is that any talented player can shoot 63 on their day, but the best players turn the 72 days into 70. Mm-hmm. The other thing that brought to life me was the value of a shot, every shot. This shot. And you can't place too much emphasis on any given mm-hmm, shot, mm-hmm. whilst each one is of incredible value. It's an amazing Mind trick, isn't it, golf? It's a test of the mind, ultimately, isn't it? Lots of people can hit the ball and the shots. It's really how you mentally deal with it. Absolutely. I I think the biggest thing about the mental aspect of the game is – you know, we, we, if you think about it, let's say if we take 30 seconds for every shot that we hit, if you're shooting even par, you're, you're playing golf for, you know, 36 minutes 
you know, and, and in terms of the actual swing, it's going to be two seconds a shot. You know I mean? It's, it's, it's so quick. You're 144. There's not much golf. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And that's, that's where the beauty of it comes in from because we all have personal demons, you know, whatever they may be, whether it's just knowing crap, I told the wife I was going to get the groceries and I'm out here in the fourth fairway right now, or crap, I did get the groceries, but I don't know how long that meat's going to last in the car because I had to get my fix of golf, you know, or, or something, you know, more substantial than that. And so the, the mental aspect of the golf is what I think really, really defines it, you know, because like you said, anyone can go out there and, and swing a golf club. You know, it's whether you're making good contact or not, it, that's, that's, that's beside the point. But in order to get from not hitting the ball to hitting the ball, you have to get over these mental hurdles of you're sitting there and it's like, you know, when you first start playing, you know, you're like, okay, right hand, do this while your left arm does that and keep your this doing that and whatever and whatever and don't swing too fast and don't do this and don't do that. Whereas if we were to gently guide ourselves and just be like, okay, swing it back, take a nice pause and then drive through. It's, it's in essence the same thing, but our brains are designed, I think partly because, you know, from the day that we're old enough to comprehend things, we're told what not to do. We're mm-hmm. told how to be fearful. And so you, you, a lot of us live lives filled with fear and don't. We live with don't. Exactly. It's constant exactly. don't. And that's don't, something that don't. I try to avoid in my life. You know, I, I, I avoid using that word as often mm-hmm. as I can. And so it's just your brain is, for me, your brain is about 85% of the entire golf game because your brain is telling your body mm-hmm. what to do, let alone telling your mind and telling your heart whether or not you can do this, whether or not you can achieve this, whether or not you're good enough, you know, smart enough, pretty enough, whatever. I mean, our brains are remarkable globular organs that are 60% fat and they're not a muscle. You know, it's just, it's fascinating. So the mind, yeah, the mind Sometimes can play games. like the enemy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah of, course. of course. They ambushes at every turn, don't they? In fact, you hear golfers on and say, I just had to get out of my own way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All the time. What does that mean? Get out of my own way. Trying to avoid those demons from flooding your flooding your system because again it'll be a lot of those quote don't miss it left uh-huh. you know and and even there are times you know I mean Duncan is wonderful at doing this but he I I've I've never heard him say don't miss it left don't do this it's always you Get know again right. gentle 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 you know guidance of you know it opens up from the right side or you know you can focus more on the the left half of the fairway here whatever it is or left side's good don't worry about you know nothing to worry about and so but there are some caddies that are like don't miss it left you're dead and i'm like <laughs> speaking of being dead right. <laughs> here's the yard book. see this big red x here that yeah. means don't hit it over yeah, here see exactly that? now you've got that clear in your yeah. mind that and spot? i look at that big red x that's like right. that's a perfect place there to bury you your body <laughs> well uh, <laughs> that's right well it's a funny thing isn't it i recall reading this years ago so, and it's an interesting experiment. If you say to somebody, don't think of a pink elephant. Yeah, first thing that comes into your There mind. is no way, there is not a human being on the planet who's immediately. Not like, a chance. It's absolutely, it's yeah, exactly. Mine's what wearing happens, a blue tutu right now. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. What about the two of you? Uh, you're caddying for Christina this week and next. Yep. Is that how you met? Is that how it started? Did you. Caddy for her and then No. I saw him from a far away distance when he was at the beer garden in Evian and I said, <sighs> done i don't believe in love at first sight it's uh-huh. it's complete bollocks there's no such except there's this one time in it history. is one time in there's history one time i mastered in the game and then i fell in love yeah exactly exactly is that really what happened because i yeah I, I can see the appeal for duncan here but i'm looking christian someone here's punching down and it's not him no 
Yeah, no, you guys were both wrong. <laughs> big, you guys goofy, were both wrong. large-eared kiwi with oh, yeah. goofy He doesn't have big ears. They're and... perfect. <laughs> um, no, yeah, I just, I, you know, we were both much younger. We're, we're co- going to be coming up on 10 years in July yeah. together. And yeah, I just remember I was walking down the stairs at Evian and he was down at the beer garden. This is actually what happened. Yeah, you this is this exactly guy. what Having happened. a beer with a few yeah, other caddies. Just sitting there sculling beers. You had and- <laughs> no hope. No hope, mate. You were gone oh. before you even knew it. Absolutely. Yeah, didn't, didn't I pretty much. You'd been tagged. Yeah. No. I sat down in, at, around the same table as him and just kind of kept staring. I became shy. I became shy, and I—that's one reason why you're I knew making something this story was very difficult to buy. Yeah. You became shy. I became shy, and the the why? What was it? What is it? What is it about him? Why? How does that happen? What happened there? That happened to you before, ever? No, no, it's never happened to me before. I was always like, and clearly not since. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> one would assume. Um, no, there's just—I don't know. There's just—it was this energy about him, mm-hmm. and he has beautiful, big brown eyes, and I don't know. I just saw him. Thank God we're on radio. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I just, uh, sometimes you can't, you can't even put it into words. I'm pretty sure I was upwind of him. So it's not like a, there would have been some like weird psychotic pheromones or anything like that. I mean, he was 21 it years old. It wasn't the links. Was, no, it wasn't <laughs> the links. I don't think he wore links back in those days even. No, it was just, it was something about the ease of how he was sitting and, and, and how he was just being kind to everyone and being relaxed. He wasn't being a dick or anything like that. That came later, you know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I grew into that. <laughs> Do you feel lucky? I don't reckon that happens to many people in life i feel very lucky i mean if 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 nothing more in in my life this is this is the best thing that's happened to me and what about for you then so you've now been tagged by a player Mm -hmm. i'm going to interrupt real quick i forced him into a relationship i basically told him we were in one so there's no reason for him to even i don't think anybody listening didn't realize that that was pretty clear right from the outset duncan so you poor beaten man yeah uh how was it for you you've been targeted Like a tagged fish. Yeah. Trapped. <laughs> Wasn't penned. released, though. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. No release. What did uh, you think when you met this one? We, uh, a friend of ours, a mutual friend of ours who caddies, he kind of introduced us, and she was running around with a tray of drinks at the Heineken uh, beer garden in Evian and was bringing beers to everyone. I thought, oh, this was pretty good of her. That's a woman after my own heart. <laughs> start, starting to see the appeal exactly. now. This is fantastic. Exactly. So we just got to talking basically that week and then we saw each other a little bit the next week at, where were we, Birkdale at the Women's Open. And then I stayed in Europe for a little bit. She went back to the States and she came out to Spain and played an event actually where we went back and uh, Christina played at the end of last year and I went and caddied for her last year. So Weren't she- a lot of caddy for me that first time. No. Anyway, that's another story. <laughs> so we'll, we'll get to that when the mic's off. I <laughs> yeah, feel like exactly. there's something interesting there. So she came over and we hung out again for that week and we'd kept in touch in between. Um, and then she brought me out to do a couple in the States and the Asia swing at the end of that same year. Here we are. Yeah, rest the is Vic history. O- Vic Open 2020. Exactly. Uh, is it is that awkward? Office romances are often advised against. This is essentially an office romance. Um, I think there's potential for it to be awkward, but last time I checked, I don't give a damn what anyone thinks. <laughs> but here you go. You, of course, Duncan works for your fellow players. Mm-hmm. You can't possibly like everybody, Christina. I know you try and you do a great job. But sometimes you might work for someone you don't like. That's um, Has that happened before? There's some strange dynamics at play. It's an unusual world you live in yeah. and work in. Absolutely. But there's going to be strange dynamics from time to time and – it just feels to me like there must be weird moments where 
he's off caddying for someone. Maybe you're not playing and you're watching on television and he's caddying for someone you don't like or, or well, maybe not don't like. Yeah, I've been do, pretty, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I do know what you're saying. I've, I've been very fortunate that Duncan's been able to work with some obviously am- amazing, amazing female golfers. Like you went to the Olympics with Suzanne Pedersen, won the U.S. Open with Michelle Wee at Pinehurst. Like there's some, you know, amazing, amazing moments. Um but you know, it's, it's a lot of times it's a lot of like the sort of microaggressions that I would come across. Like if we're in a practice round and someone kind of snaps at him, you know, it's, it's happened once or twice early, mm, early in his okay. career where I'm like, that's, hey. you know, that's not necessary. You know, it's, but at the, at the same time, if you're in the heat of the moment, sometimes you don't think about it. And if that's how you need to vent, then that's how you need to vent. And if I know you as a person, I'm like, okay, she's, that's just how she is, but that's, she doesn't harbor anything. Then, you know, it's, it's all good. Um, but yeah, we've had, we've had our, our strangest moment together when we weren't working together was probably in, was it 2010? No, 2012. Italy? Italy. 2012. 2012. So, um, Gladys Nocera from France, she had come played on the LPGA tour. She for got a that weird years. floating W in her name. I yeah, GW I, Lady. Yeah, I had to write that, that her, a bunch yeah. of times. I was like, yeah. it's never looked yeah. like Just remember, her name's yeah. spelled GW Lady. Yeah, that's, that's how it is. Nice. I always remember that name. Um, yeah. Amazing woman, you know, I mean, mul- multiple, um, really good winner of the Order of Merit in, yeah. on the European tour. And I think it was at 36, she came to the LPGA as, an, as, so, a, yeah. as a rookie, you know, so was the oldest rookie in however long. And, she and Duncan started working together after she and her caddy, Raph, um, had split up. You know, they'd worked together for years and years and years. And just like Duncan said, I mean, they were the best of friends, mm-hmm. but needed. Time. Yeah, it was time. Even if it's something like I've, I've had, you know, I've, I've worked with caddies where I said, I, I think that you can benefit someone else more than you can benefit me right now. Not nothing. This, it's just, I'm at a point where I'm like, I don't. You know, it's nothing about you. This really is more of a me issue, but I, I would like to see you flourish. You've given him the Costanza. Mm. It's not you, it's me. <laughs> if it's anybody, it's, it's me. me. <laughs> That's right. I was draped in velvet <laughs> yesterday, actually. <laughs> and um, so I got a message from Raf, you know, after he and Gladys had split up. And it was like, hey, you know, I saw, I see that you're playing in, in Italy and, and when we're playing at the Sicilian uh, Women's Open. Would you like me to caddy for you? I'm like, oh, Raf, I've, I've lo- I would have loved to have worked with you at any point. Like, I would love this. Yeah, let's do it. You know, you're already in Europe, so I don't have to spend an extra, you know, $1,500 to fly you over from the States, this, that, whatever, whatever. And so we started working together. And, and Duncan at the time had been working with Gladys since she and Raf had split. And lo and behold, we're in the final round and... I've got Raf on the bag and I'm paired up. I think I've got a one or two shot lead. We were over- tied. Oh, oh sure. we were tied. See, I don't even oh, remember so, this so, part. So, yeah, my bad. Sorry. Forget. And <laughs> Duncan and Gladys were, we were, the four of us were tied. So it was this weird so incestuous. Final group. Yeah. We're in the final group. Oh, wow. And there was potential for it to be awkward. But I mean, I love Gladys. I love Duncan, obviously, in a different way. I loved having Raph on the bag. So I was like, this is like a, just a huge family reunion. <laughs> yeah. This is amazing. Everybody else is going, this is the most awkward <laughs> day in the history of the world. <laughs> Raph only picked up Gladys's bag once that yeah. day. That wasn't bad. <laughs> That, that, you can imagine if you yeah. work with someone for a long time, yeah. it would be a habit, wouldn't mm-hmm. it? Uh, who won? Uh, I did end up pulling away by, I don't remember, one shot. You won by a couple, I think. Yeah. What was that like for you? And for Raf, because the caddies, of course, have got their own relationship. Absolutely. Yeah, I yeah. think, oh. Well, we laughed about it immediately. Yeah. I mean, all, I wanted to win. Of course. Gladys wanted to win. Christina and Raf both wanted that's to win. That's hardwired. So that's You don't we, get there if you don't want you're that. You're not going out there and, I mean, you're happy. Obviously, if they win, you're happy for them. They beat you. 
That's as simple as that. You go out in a way, isn't it? In a way, yeah. She wins, you win, and well, if Gladys longer, wins, you win. If we both shot seventy five and got beaten by yeah. someone else, <laughs> <Yeah. up, laughs> okay. so I never thought about that. Yeah, <laughs> I get it now. Yeah, but um, I mean, everyone went out and just did the best they could. It was fun. We chatted most of the way around. Um, it was close for until the back nine. Christina, I believe, pulled away in the end. Um, but it, I mean, everyone did as well as much as they could. Mm. Caddies to help their player, players played as well as they could. And at the end of the day, if you can't be happy for a friend that beat you, it's going to wear you out real quick because you lose far more often than you win in golf. Bigger issues Absolutely. to think about yeah. perhaps than, than what happened today. Now, who was it recently, two players in a playoff and one's uh, fiancé was Caddy? Nelly, Nelly Porta and, and Carol Masson. Masson yeah. yeah. And that was at Solheim, wasn't it? No, Taiwan. Oh, Ta- oh Taiwan. that's right because they yeah. were in the playoff. That, yeah, they were in a playoff. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. It's like, I don't know how you'd sort of – <laughs> you'd kind of deal with that. Yeah. Talking, you said Christina pulled away on the back nine. Golf tournaments unfold slowly, mm-hmm. 72 holes, but there's this time shifts, it feels like, the longer the tournament goes on. Sure. And that mm-hmm. back nine unfolds very quickly. What pace does it happen at for players and caddies? And what's the, what are the mental things? What, what actually goes through your mind is it, let's say you get to the 10th day Sunday and you're within one of the lead. What's that vibe? What's the, how do you deal with that? What's the – see, I can't imagine it. Yeah. Most of us will never be in a position like that, most humans. So and I, I imagine you can't practice it. You can practice your whole life hitting bump and runs and flop shots and you can't practice that. No. So what's that like? You can't replicate the feeling no. of being there no matter how hard you practice. Um, slightly different depending how you got there. Mm-hmm. So if you're a few back and you're picking up ground on the front nine, you're just hammer down, you'd keep going kind of thing if you're sh- – kind of had the lead and you're whittling it away a little bit, you might have very different feelings. But if you're there, no matter how you get there, or whether it's nine holes left, one hole left, however you get there, if you're one back tied, if you said to yourself before the week, if I was in this position, I'd be giving it everything. There's no worry about what might happen. It's just there's one goal at the end of the line. So you kind of very clear on, I think, what you're trying to do, and me as a caddy too, where the – you could have dropped three. You had a four-shot lead, dropped three shots. You got a one-shot lead with one to play. You could be thinking, "Don't drop another one." Mm-hmm. You know, the commentators are in the box going, "Momentum's important absolutely. in golf." And this momentum's going the wrong way for this player. It's what all the people who are watching are thinking. And if say if you're in that position as a caddy, I would have the best thing I think you could say would be, "Look, you got a one-shot lead." If I told you you had a one-shot lead Wednesday coming up the last hole, what would you think? Say, so, "Let's go get it done." All right. That's We're done here. You can just go play. You don't have to say anything else. So it's it's so simple, isn't it? But it is. It's but so much more. Your mind, like everything can in golf, race. Yeah. easier said than done. Absolutely. You've probably been in all of those situations. Christina. Yeah. I mean, what he was actually talking about reminded me a lot of my last win on the LPGA tour and at the Lorena Ochoa Invitational. I had. I don't remember. Was it five up with nine to go or was um, it five up at the beginning of the round? Five I, up at the beginning of the round. Oh, okay. No, and then no. I think I was four up with nine to go or something like that. And then, I mean, dropped shots. I don't remember what it was, but Shen Shen Feng, we were in the same pairing and she was making a charge. And she's I, great, by the way. she's phenomenal. <laughs> she is phenomenal. One like one of my favorite humans yeah, on earth. Me too. And, you know, and, and sort of similar to how it was in Sicily, like, 
I want to win. There is no question about that. I want to win, but I get so excited and so happy to celebrate when my fellow players are playing well, even if it means that, you know, it's not that I don't ever give my all. I always mm-hmm. give my all, but yeah, if I get cool. beat out, you get beat out. Yeah. Like, you can't do anything but celebrate that. And so I went from, it was like, I don't remember, it was like three or four up with nine to play. And then I was playing like doo-doo a little bit, but started coming back towards the end of the round. And then on the 18th hole, I had one shot. I think I had a one shot lead. Um, and uh failed to get up and down for par. I, I miss this tiny little like three foot putt or whatever. And during that entire like three feet. <laughs> okay, maybe four and a half. Um and so I'm sat there and d- during this entire time while she's chasing after me and closing in on the lead, I'm not a lot of times I think, you know, I would have freaked out before. But that whole week, I was just so in the moment and really only focusing on what I was doing. I was aware of what she was doing, but there was nothing I could do mm-hmm. to directly impact what she was going to do, except for if I were to make a bogey, it would cause her to press even further and mm-hmm. this and that. But either way, you know, that I would want her to make birdie. I want everyone to make birdie anytime I'm paired with them. And so for me, I was just so focused in the moment that I felt like I refused to let the momentum, even though the numbers were indicating it, mm-hmm. emotionally, I was refusing to let the momentum switch because I said, we're not done until we're done. And until we're done, I still got the lead. Whether I do or not in my own mind is, is, mm-hmm. is neither the point or it isn't the point, but I'm going to have that mental focus of I have the lead and I've got to put the hammer down, even though, you know, in theory, I was four up with nine to play. And then we end up going into a playoff. And, um, I won on like the second hole or something like that of the playoff. And it was just like, at that point I was like, holy crap, what I just realized what happened. Like I could have let that slip away three times in it's the like last the near car accident, holes. isn't it? You yeah. don't get the panic until yeah. five minutes later. Yeah. Exactly. The drama's part. Then you realize, Jesus, exactly. that's yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, it's like, it's, it's, it's just, it's all about just being present. And that was my entire mantra. I had two mantras that week. One was stay in the present, stay in the moment. And the other one was what would Lorena do? Like, <laughs> God, with every shot, yeah, I was like, what would Lorena do? And I was like, I'm going to do that. And I was like, yeah. ah, well, that was easy. Like that. Maybe I should play like Lorena more often. What a loss for the game when she retired. Yeah. For those of it, I mean that in a yeah, as as a golf fan, I just as, wanted for to the keep game, watching of course, her yeah, for the, of course, of course, of course, you know, you know. Sort of special about it. Yeah, I mean, I've known her since I was fifteen, yeah. so I remember that was a very emotional yeah. for you for that reason that yeah. you're close to her. Yeah, um, she's such a legend. She is, but for me, it was just you know, and that's that's the thing. It's just like ultimately, when you come to a crossroads and you want to determine what type of legacy you want to leave and how for her. I mean, she donated every cent that she earned on the golf course to her charity. She, she, she gave selflessly to help the kids, um, you know, and educate children in Mexico. And for her, those are her passions. You know, she loved golf and there's no question. She's mm-hmm. such an incredibly passionate competitor, but her calling was so much yeah, more than golf, golf was what she did. It certainly isn't no, who she what is. she was. Yeah. She, yeah. yeah. No, no, and no. so this was, this was, the be- it was the best best decision for her to yeah. be able to make her impacts, you know, to use not use but to have golf be a not a stepping stone but just a a you know a segment of her mm-hmm. lifetime you know and, and have it as a career and yeah. then be able to do the things you know and, and all of her wonderful philanthropic endeavors and things like that you know so for me it's just you just sit there and you're just like you have to be so good yeah, for right. such yeah. a short yeah. amount of time that's though. exactly <laughs> I'm really you're re- yeah. this is really quite emasculating Lorena enough is enough <laughs> uh, give it a give it a rest it's a weird competition golf isn't it I think probably like at our club level you think about it you play with your mates yep. and you want nothing more but to beat them oh, mercilessly. Yeah. And then something happens one day and one of your mates is playing well. 
So you start off with saying, oh, you jammy bastard, you're just being lucky. <laughs> by the time you get to 10 and they're still playing, I was like, mm-hmm. you could really be yeah, doing keep something. Keep it going here, yeah, yeah. And by the time you get to 16, 17, 18, you're cheering. Yeah, for absolutely. You have the best round of the What is that about? Why, what is that about? There's no other game or sport that's like that, is there? No, I, no, I wouldn't think so. There's, especially when it's so individualized. I mean, you're on a cricket team and mm. even somebody on the other side, they're scoring some runs. You sit back, you're in awe and you're watching it or someone on your own team, obviously it's directly helping mm-hmm. your team. So you want them to do the best. But when it's, yeah, you're going out there trying to beat somebody and then they, serve, it's, it's just great to witness something special. You don't see it very often, regardless of what it is. You could be a player in your group. I don't usually pay much attention to what other people are doing. It's not my business. It doesn't have much to do with me. I'm doing my job trying to help my player. Mm-hmm. But when someone's out there, they might be six under through nine, and then they get a couple more, and then I start thinking, how many is that? Yeah, that's they're playing pretty well here. And job. then you start watching. Yeah. So my player might finish out. I'd usually quietly pop off to the next tee to get ready. I'll be staying there if they've got a putt and they make it, and maybe give them a little high five or a fist bump. Yeah. So you do. It's special watching special things, regardless if it's somebody that you root for or somebody yeah. that you're trying to beat, it is nice to watch. It's a weird shared journey, it is. isn't it? We're all it a bit is. hippie-ish about it, but it is a bit of a weird shared journey in some way that it, uh, it works that way. Well, and we, I think we've all been there where we, that first time we were able to achieve it, yeah. or even if you've never achieved it, but even to be able to witness it, we all know it's something, like Duncan said, it's something special. So you're just like, there are times when it's like, like I, when I was playing um, at the shop right years ago, finished second place to Stacey Lewis. She beat me by like six or something like that. We were pretty close close coming in, you know, starting the round, but she was doing something special. So I'm sat there and I'm just like, like Duncan said, sometimes you're in awe and you're just like, this is so cool to witness. And you're just like, I'm just going to stay out of your way, even though we're in a tournament (laughs) and you're clearly, you know, but you're clearly winning, you know, and I'm doing my best so that best so that I can try and catch up to you. But at the same time, you know, you're just, it's something that is so they're so rare and fleeting these moments, regardless of whether it's you, someone that you've played golf with for 15 years, and this is the first time they might break 80. You know, it's, it's because it's so special, you know, and, and, and you, 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 as humans, we root for people. Yeah, you, we you cheer, do. cheer people on, I should say. In, yeah, that's in right. <laughs> you almost inadvertently try and get out, of, go out of your way to somewhat help them yeah. without trying to help them. In yeah. A way. yeah. Yeah. Just try to not impede that. Yeah. Yeah. Is, yeah. Is, you know, yeah. Because everyone knows the struggles of the game. I mean, yeah. you, you didn't have your best year last year, mm-hmm. Christina, first time in a long time. Doo doo. Yeah. Yeah. Doo doo had to go back to Q series. You're disappearing before our very eyes. <laughs> From the outside, it's easy to go, well, Christina's obviously, you know, she's decided to lose weight and do a whole bunch of stuff. Is that what's happened? No. Something with I, your game. Um, well, so last year I obviously played like doo doo, had to go back to Q series, but you know, in the middle of the it's summer. It's a wake up call, isn't it? Hmm? It's a slap, isn't it? On a wake up call. I mean, I, 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 mean, I had been happen. facing, yeah. I mean, yeah, I had but- been facing it for the last three months of the season and was acutely aware of the fact that mm-hmm. there was a good chance I was going to have to go back. And so for me, it was just like, you know, I mean, at that point, it was just trying to put bandage on a bullet wound, prevent going back as opposed to the thought process of if that happens, that happens. Let's just try and go out and win now. You know, and, and so for me, there was, you're always constantly learning. And, you know, the demons in my head last year definitely took over. But for me, last year, I, 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 I've been doing the keto diet and I never went in with the thought process of, let me see how much weight I can lose. For me, it was just, let's get these shackles that sugar has put on me 
and let's get rid of them. You know, I mean, I was having like, you know, I mean, one can of soda has 41 grams of mm. sugar in it, you know, in the, in the stuff. U.S. because yeah. there's, there's fewer, um, you know, art, uh, artificial sweeteners or still corn syrup, but whatever uh, in the U S and, and, you know, I had known a couple of players that were on the keto diet, you know, I've got, you know, family that I tried the keto diet and I was like, you know, what's, what's the worst that can happen if I OD from having too much butter in my veins, it's all right. You know, it's, it's, it, that's okay. You know? And, and so I started so going it's a non-sugar. Yeah. It's, it's, you avoid, it's, it's greatly reducing carbs. So you're actually increasing the amount of fat that you're ingesting, but good fats like, like avocados uh-huh. and, you know, lots of oils, nuts, things like that, heavy oily fishes and, um, you know, and, and having a, a moderate amount of, of protein and a very limited amount of carbs, you know. And so what you do is you turn, you put your body into ketosis, which, I mean, in, in layman's terms, your body, which normally in, ingests carbohydrates and converts them into energy in your, in your liver, I think it is. Um, or kidneys and somewhere in there, somewhere one whole, of them pokey things, yeah. In there. You don't one of those weird blobs. Um, then all of a sudden, you're when you deplete yourself of those carbs, your body. I mean, you basically go into survival mode, and your options are: we can die, or we can try and find another source to create energy. And so, by virtue of flooding your system with with good fats, along with having you know nice insulation yeah, sure. already built, uh, you know, it was pretty quick for me to go into ketosis, and you know. It's been a happy byproduct, but the best part is I, I don't have sugar cravings anymore. Like underripe strawberries are too sweet for me. Like I, you know, having a, a, there was a, an Asian dish in player dining yesterday and I was like, oh, this is great. It's got broccoli and cauliflower and carrots and tofu. And I took a bite and I was like, that sauce is way too sweet. I can't even, I I can't palate it anymore. Um, so yeah. And then that's just been a happy byproduct. So I don't know. When I look in the mirror, I still feel like I look Mm -hmm. the same. And it's not that I sit there and say, you fat pig. No, no, no. Back then, I was just like, you have a good heart. <laughs> so I had body image dysmorphia, but like in the reverse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I always joke, it's, you know, aside from all the sociological issues or uh, societal issues with it, I always joke that I had the ha- uh, shallow house syndrome, you know, because I was like, there's no shortage of pressure on all of us. And I reckon it's more than, more than ever. And particularly if you do a high profile job, you're a bit of a celebrity. There's no shortage of scrutiny about how you look, how you dress, how you carry yourself. It's a very easy world, I would think, to fall into the trap of, I need to be this and I need to be this because other people are saying so. How have you avoided that? I I don't, you know, I had this conversation with some friends a couple weeks ago. Because that's big I, stuff. That's not about golf. That's about- That's life. Yeah, yeah. But which is also, again, golf is, it parallels life in so many ways. I recall from the time I was really little- like a, a perfect example was when I was 12 years old, cut off all my hair. It was maybe a couple centimeters longer than what you have now. Dyed it every color of the rainbow, twisted it, spiked it up, did this, did that, had that going for about six years. Like, you know, whereas everyone was always talking about, you know, how glorious my long hair was and mm-hmm. this and that. And I'm like, I don't care. You know, I'd go to, I'd go to high school, uh, which is what, like, uh, sixth form? Is that around the same age? Mm-hmm. Six form. Six forms your second last year of high school or yeah. your last year okay. if you're in yeah. Australia. Some yeah. sort of number form school. Um, yeah. you know, uh, I think we've done away with it here even as well. Yeah. Okay. Well, in high school, I'd, I'd, I'd roll up to the golf course and you've got all these friends that are, you know, like, Oh my God, I spent an hour getting ready. This, that, whatever, whatever, how to find the perfect outfit. And I'm like, I'm playing golf later. I'm wearing a golf shirt, wearing khakis <laughs> and I've got my knees pulled up, my fluorescent green socks pulled yeah. up to my knees. I just, I don't care. Like I, you know, what you look like does not define you as mm-hmm. a human being. What you say has some 
meaning behind mm-hmm. it. But as long as you're being honest and truthful and you're living your life truthfully and you're in the present, you're a good person to me. You know, so for me, I've never really cared what other people thought and not in a way that your opinion doesn't matter, but the only opinion that truly does matter is one's own. Um, you know, and, and I was, I faced that when I turned professional, I was 18 years old and, t- you know, was telling people, you know, I'm going to turn professional, this and that. And they says the stupidest mistake, it's going to be the biggest mistake of your life. It's going to be such a waste of a potentially good golfer. And I'm like, you're allowed to have that thought, you know? And so growing up, the only people that believed in me were my mom and my dad and everyone else knew at that point that I was turning pro and nobody believed in me. And I said, that's okay. Like, I'm not going to go out there and turn pro and win out of spite. Like there are things that I say that I end up, you know, being like, you know, misconce- misconstrued or, or ill, ill, you know, uh, you know, was, I, I was wrong, you know, that's okay. That's life. So you don't have to believe in me. I believe in myself enough that the entire world doesn't have to believe in me. And that's, I'm still going to have more belief than all of that. And that's not arrogance. That's not cockiness. It's self-preservation and survival. Because if you have feelings for yourself other than love and appreciation, why does anyone else deserve or why does it, what, what, what right do you have to have anyone else believe in you? You know? And so I don't know. I There's just fine lines all over there, isn't there? Yeah. That's yeah, the thing. I mean, the, the further I go into life, the more like tiny little intricacies there are when it comes to, even when it's self-talk, even when it's things that you're thinking about, even when it's just words that you choose to have come out of your mouth, there are so many different layers to it. If you allow there to be. You've, you've had issues with depression in the past. They seem gone now, but is that something that's always nearby? What do you recall about that? Don't know, some pretty heavy stuff happened yeah. for you. Yeah, I don't think, um, you know, I, I, w- I would say that depression never goes away. I don't necessarily believe that there is a quote-unquote cure for yeah. it, but there are many ways in which you can manage and cope and find ways to – take a potentially crappy day and turn it to an okay day or take an okay day and turn it into a good day or even take a good day and take and turn it into the best day of your life. It's a golf analogy, you know? isn't it? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It's, it's, I'm telling you. I'm 75 into 72. Yeah, I'm telling you. And, you know. Is it hard work? It it depends. I mean, the the way I see it, I mean, everyone always says Duncan and I, you know, like, quote unquote, I love LinkedIn easy. But, you know, I work my ass off to make sure that, you know, he knows how much I love him and that, we make it easy. You know, it's, it's, it's all dependent on how you, how you view it. So, you know, for me, I don't think it's hard anymore on, on the days where it's really, really bad. It can be trying, but since I've already gone through, um, so many things that were, were, were not great, I survived it, you know? And so one of my, one of still my still got the one shot lead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I told you exactly. you're going to get exactly. one shot lead. Yeah. It doesn't matter how you got there. You yeah. still got exactly. The one shot lead. Or like, like the abalone trip that we took last week, you know, I asked myself, but did you die? Yeah. <laughs> there is no, you know, apparently you can still breathe oxygen if yeah. you're on the water <laughs> without being entirely submerged in it. And so for me, it's all about, you know, just making sure I really enjoy everything that happens in life, you know, and, and making sure I tick off all these small victories. Like today woke up. That's a victory. Brush my teeth. That's a victory. My eyebrows, they look somewhat related today. That's a victory, that you know? fantastic. Thank I noticed them when you. you first came in. Thank you. Um, you know, and it's Let's just- Let's not comment on my single eye. <laughs> <laughs> but life is just, you know, time is a man-made construct. Mm-hmm. And so 
the only moment that we truly have for sure is now. And there's no guarantee that we're not all some computer simulation. So every quote unquote memory we have might not have ever existed either. You know, this, I mean, I'll put my tinfoil hat on after we're done, but you know, it's the only thing that we truly have is right here, right now. And being able to focus on what is happening right here, right now, whether that means rubbing your hands together or, you know, combing your hands through your hair or something like that. A lot of times stress and anxiety come from being away from what, what you really should be, which is yourself right here, right now. So, um, for me, you know, I, I sit there and I, I forget where I, where I heard it, but someone said that anxiety and excitement are basically they're, um, like on a, on a, like a, uh, scientific level, they're identical. It's just a matter of perception. Mm-hmm. Two sides, two sides same of the same coin. coin. Yeah. Exactly. And so for me, anytime I start to get anxious, I'm like, no, I'm just really stoked. I'm really stoked. And why am I stoked? Because this is a new experience, you know, except for my panic attack. Except it's just, it's water and air, but well, it's just a very well out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. Irrational fear of water for some reason. Um, nothing irrational. And- I see it. People have, people have drowned in this stuff. So well, there's, I know, there's but a- no, look, no one else is scared of water. Let's start to wrap it up. We've been at this too long. What next, <laughs> what next for you two? Where do you live? Do you have a home? You, all you do is travel around the globe. What are you going to do? Um, continue traveling around the globe, uh-huh. doing it together. Uh, Duncan's got a place in Stewart, Florida. I live in Orlando, so it's about a two hour drive door to door. But considering we play pretty much at least 25 weeks a year, we travel 25 weeks a year together. So we actually spend a lot more time together than the average married couple yeah. does, to be fair. So, um, for us, you know, I've, I've still got, you know, friends and a life in my golf club and all that stuff in Orlando. And, you know, he's got his, you know, love for the ocean, which I just, I'm trying, I'm trying. (laughs) Beach is cool. Um, and you know, so it's, it's nice to be able to make sure that we have that time where I can go to his place anytime I want. He comes back to my place, but at the same time, you know, it's, it's not 24 seven, you know, 365. Mm. I would be attached to him like a koala on a gum tree if I could, but I know that it's not the most healthy thing to do. And so it's, it's good because every now and again, it's like, sometimes you're like, Hey, what'd you do today? You know, and like these yeah. two weeks would be like, what'd you do today? Be yeah. like, well, you tucked me out of hitting that seven iron. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. I gave you a nine iron and it should have been an eight. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Last thing. Uh, who are you working for this year, Duncan? Have you got I'm, a bag? Yeah. Yep. Caddying for Miram Lee. Miram Lee. Korean girl. Mm-hmm. And what's going to happen with Christina Kim? Where's your game? What are we going to see this year? Um, I've been working really hard on my game, made a lot of changes over the, uh, well, not even the off season from pretty much the end of the season up until now. And, you know, I don't, I don't predict the future and I don't try and live in it. So all I can tell you is I'm very happy right now. In a good place. That's all that matters. That's, Swing's looking good. That's the best. Well, it is looking fantastic. Mm-hmm. I saw you hitting some beautiful bump and runs on Instagram yeah. the other day yeah, yeah, too, yeah, which yeah, is yeah. fabulous to see. Guys, it's been terrific to talk to you. I get to talk to you for the rest of the week, which is lovely, Yay. but thanks for taking some time, Christine. Of course. Anytime. Thank you, Duncan. The Absolute caddies pleasure, man. Way underrated in this game. It's good. The good most good underrated, in my opinion. Yeah. And I'm not just biased. His skill set yeah, is, yeah. can't deny well, his resume tells you that he's good, doesn't it? That's so, exactly And it. good players don't employ dud caddies mm-hmm. is the other thing. So you know that guys are good if they're getting the bags of the good players. Thanks, guys. We'll talk again soon. Well, that's it for episode 16 of The Thing About Golf, and let's hope it's not too long before we get to see those two and the rest of the world's golfers back in action on the fairways. In the meantime, don't stray too far from your podcast feed because on episode 17, we'll meet one of my favourite people in the world of golf. That's the Kim Kardashian of the podcast world, Mike Clayton, next time on The Thing About Golf.